You are now listening to the Living Numbers and Tony Rambles, 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 and the Living Numbers Podcast. This is the Living Numbers Podcast, and I am your host, and this is the place where everyone is interesting. You just have to ask the right questions. Today, I have an amazing musician here, and you all know how we do things here. When I have someone on for the first time, I have to give them an introduction. So, hailing from a small town in Ontario, Canada, that's as close as I could get, (laughs) he earned his degree in music from Berkeley College of Music. He's been a guitarist for 31, 32-ish years. He's toured all across the globe and has been featured in CBS, NBC, Fox News, and USA Today. Those are some hard hitters. He's written three books on teaching music that have become Amazon number one bestsellers. Iron Maiden changed his life after having to relearn guitar due to a terrible car accident. We're glad Nick is still with us today. He believes music should be usable and fun. Music historian, known on the music scene as Samurai Fingers. And he is the creator and founder of the app, website, and YouTube channel, Guitar Dojo. Teacher, storyteller, musician, content creator, I present the Nick Morrison. Hello, hello. <laughs> what a what a wonderful welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I, I hope I got m- at least most of that information right. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did your homework. Yeah, definitely. So, definitely. Sometimes did. it's hard to find like the exact pieces. So I got to kind of fill in what I don't know. Sure. Totally. No, that's wonderful. I love I love the bit at the beginning. Small town, Ontario, Canada, as good as you could find. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's wonderful. Uh, Place is called Richard's Landing. It's in northern Ontario and it is. It's very tiny. I think maybe 600 permanent residents. So it's uh, it's a small place and it's on an island. So it's very isolated. Um, And actually, the year I was born, 79, they built a bridge connecting to the mainland so like by the time i was you know old enough to do activities and stuff we could drive to other you know communities but before that like my mom my mom and my my dad and my grandparents to get back and forth you'd have to wait and take the ferry and there was one ferry in the morning and one ferry in the evening and that was it oh no (laughs) yeah (laughs) so you know pretty pretty isolated and and very closed off um community but a beautiful least yeah but uh, uh so I, we talked about this a bunch before yeah uh, before the show but our first um number here at least for me is early 2000s which is where i was able to kind of control my own music i think one of the first cds i bought was um g unit big for mercy i think that was one of the first CDs okay i bought i was huge g unit fan did you ever listen to to rap music or g unit or yeah i did g unit not specifically um you know when i the late 90s and early 2000s was really i think kind of the almost the golden era i think of like rap and hip-hop because it was still it was still experimenting from where it started you know in like even the 70s and 80s right like with mixtapes and and freestyling over them um Uh but you have artists coming up through, uh, you know, through the late '80s and into the '90s. You know, you've got you've got Snoop Dogg, you've got Dr. Dre, you've got, uh, and you know, all of the other ones. You know, your Puff Daddy, yep. Notorious B.I.G. and all that. W.A. Big Daddy Kane. All yeah, and they really started kind of honing it in and going, okay, this is what's going to sell. This is how we market ourselves, and like it turned into a multi-billion-dollar industry. Yes, but like that late '90s, early 2000s, things were still. I, I don't know how to put it, like almost still infant enough where there was yes. some innocence to it. Like there was definitely some stuff that was hard edge for sure. But there was still like this sense of like anything was possible before everything got really, really, really narrowed down. So, yeah, there was mm-hmm. a ton of stuff. Like even though uh, rap and hip hop weren't my my like favorite genre, there was definitely mm-hmm. artists I would listen to. Like I, I loved Nelly, um, who 
I guess yeah. you could argue one way or the other. Like he wasn't really like a rap artist per se, but I don't think he wasn't. Um, Eminem obviously had uh, you know a couple huge records at that time, right? A Detroit, My man. Uh, right? Uh, native there, and uh, obviously Dr. Dre with the Chronic. And, uh, you know, there, there were a couple big records, like maybe a handful, maybe six to 10, like, even if you weren't a rap or hip hop guy or gal at that yes. point, like you owned the records cause they were just that big, you, you mm-hmm. know? And I, again, I look back at that time and I'm like, well, that was, I was graduating high school. I was going to university. Like that was like my formative time. Right. So yeah, definitely, definitely some good stuff coming out of that, uh, out of that era. And some, I was talking, uh, man, I think this was. Wednesday, I was talking to uh, some friends of mine because I sing at my church and some artists, they kind of transcend their genre. Yes. So like Dr. Dre and Eminem are those kind of guys where even if you don't listen to rap music yep. and we were specifically talking about Kirk Franklin and early on when he came out with his stuff where it was like, even if you don't really listen to gospel or you don't even believe in God, you don't even care about who yep. he is. Is like, who is this guy that's making this new kind of music that's kind of cool? It's kind of different. It doesn't really fit. So yeah. some artists just transcend their genres. And I think Absolutely. Eminem and some of those guys that you mentioned are some of those guys. Definitely. And I mean, to, to the point about gospel, I mean, you look at the, the massive, massive success that like Luther Vandross had, because um, he was a gospel guy before he really sort of transformed, yeah. but not that much. Aretha into- Franklin. Aretha Another Fred, absolutely right yeah yeah so it's it's crazy not crazy it's very interesting to see how these genres they overlap and they yeah. borrow from others I, I think I was I was listening to you were talking about hard rock and how it came from the blues and how they just kind of took some things out. Can you explain that story? I think I was listening to it on another podcast. Might have been another podcast, but yeah, I mean, if you look at sort of the the history of music of where it came from, if, you know, North America is a really new uh, place, right? And we had a whole bunch of things that were happening, obviously, but we've got, you know, let's be completely honest, we got white folks coming over and they're listening to classical music and they're, you know, stuffy and whatever and blah, blah, blah. That's a whole thing. I'm not going to get into <laughs> it, but like, you know, I mean, like there's that music and then, you know, there's, there's slaves that come over and they bring music from, from Africa. And what's really interesting actually, and this is kind of aside from blues and popular music, but um, if you look at Cuba and the music of Cuba and there's like a whole style of genre or a whole genre of music, like Afro-Cuban jazz, Mm-hmm. So you have this crazy melting pot of Cuba where you have African music meeting like specifically like stuff like from Senegal. So like drumming. Um, and then you've got like Brazilian music, right? You've got the, the, that really pounding dance rhythms coming from Brazil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you also have some Spanish music and some Portuguese and just everything there sort of mixed and turned it into its like own thing, which is super, super magical. Anyway, getting back to the blues. So you know, if you if you look at um, basically the the transformative nature of it around the turn of the nineteenth uh, century, so like you know late eighteen hundreds into you know nineteen oh one nineteen oh three, we've got something interesting happening where classical music, right? Which which really when I say that is like the stylistic music of seventeenth century Germany, for the most part. Okay. Um, but it's trans it's being transformed into what's going to be this new modern music called jazz. And that's really spearheaded in North America. Um, and they took a lot of the sort of classical idiom and changed it, altered it, added some tensions and things. And it kind of got both more complex and less complex at the same time. Mm-hmm. But then you've also then um, got, again, African music coming over and the, the aural and song and dance and singing and drumming tradition that came with it. And a lot right. of what was happening, I think, was that the, 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 the slaves really at that time were taking the music that they were hearing and going, we're going to make it more ours, make it more singable, right? Yeah. And, and stripping away all of the pretense and the nonsense that wasn't necessary and keeping it to the simple... Uh, the simpleness of it. And that's really what the blues is, is if you really listen to it, the chord structure is very, very simple. It's one, four, and five. There's three chords, right? And it loops. But the beauty of the music, the depth of the music comes from 
the 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 sound of the voice, the emotion that comes from the singer, and then of course the right. stories that are being told. Yes, yes. And so that that I think is kind of what what really birthed the blues. And then of course you got into the fifth. There's a whole bunch. I'm skipping so much, right? But then of right, course right. you got the fifth course, right? Where where then of course all of a sudden you've got um, I don't I, I don't know what you would call it, but like the whitewashing of the blues, right? Where you've mm -hmm. got like. Uh, Sun Records and Elvis Presley coming in going well That's this music is good name I thought of <laughs> yeah like it it moves people people dance they love it it's awesome um, and now let's package it and sell it right and uh, and and that's really where that music came from and and turned into kind of what it is today right it's that yeah very very stripped down but if you listen to a lot of what's going on with the blues it really does come from jazz and that's why you can take so much jazz influence and put it into blues styles and you hear that more and more as you get later in the 50s and into the 60s and 70s mm -hmm. and then you can hear those jazz influences uh also get into other styles of music because everything kind of is birthed from that super stripped down let's just sing it like it is and tell our right. stories and connect with people and when you, you know, said that's that why, like oh sorry go go ahead go ahead that's why i always say like honestly the best the best songs should be able to be sung with like one string on a guitar to play like a, a bass note and a melody. If you've got if you've got a good melody and then some sort of a reference for the harmony that's happening behind it, you've got a great mm -hmm. song. And if people can hum it, like that's it. That's all you need. You know, you don't have to be Eddie Van Halen or you know whoever <laughs> to be a good guitar player or to be a good a, a good entertainer. You have to have a good voice. You have to have a good story. And and really, melody is king. When you talked about the emotion and right, this is not even like on our list of things to talk about, but when you talked about the emotion behind yeah. it, I thought of two people and I thought of Sam Cooke and Nina Simone, Yeah. where when you hear these people, you're like, oh my, my gosh, like that had that, I feel like it happened yesterday. Like I can feel what's happening in this song. Yeah. And, um, th that influences people that, that touches the hearts of people. And, and that's how the music transcends right we're talking about sam yeah. cook that music was 60 years ago yep. but it still resonates today yeah absolutely yeah those are the things so, those are the things that that will take you the furthest right people will not necessarily remember the things that you say or the things that you do right they're not going to remember your words and they're not necessarily going to remember their your actions unless they were so ridiculously heroic or horrendously awful but right. by and large most people they're not going to remember the words or the deeds they will remember how you make them feel mm. right and this this not just the music this is like life in general right right right, right. so at least as, what, I, as as i've come to understand it <laughs> that i mean that's that's excellent i really like that because you do when i think about like my aunt didi i always remember how great of a person she was and it's not anything really like specific but the feeling of just her warmth and her friendliness yeah. to anybody who yeah. came across her path. She was just that kind of person. And it's yeah. not, like I said, it's not a specific thing. Now, I mm -hmm. could think of stories, sure, but it's more of a, a general, this is who this person was and how they made people feel and how they treated people. So, yeah, man, that's like life lesson. We could just hang it up right there. We could just end it. <laughs> Thank you guys. This is the Living Numbers Podcast, Nick Morrison. There you go. Okay, Nick, I think the easy question here is what influenced you to pick up a guitar? Like who are your your, your favorite artists or bands? Yeah. Who was like, oh wow, like I really need to be able to do that too? To totally. Um, I mean I come from a musical family, so I'm I'm pretty lucky in that sense, I think. Um my uncle's a professional uh musician. He lives he's now retired, but he used to live in Toronto. Um he's a sax player. And uh he toured around in the in the sixties and seventies with a with a lot of players and and so I you know I, I my grandfather uh, played uh, organ and drums and he played in bands in like the fifties and sixties uh, you know kind of that was his side hustle right because he was a steel worker mm -hmm. and he'd you know work all day at the mill or all night at the mill or whatever you know the shift was and then he would get off he would go get the band and they would all go do a wedding on a Saturday afternoon you know like and that was <laughs> that was. Fun extra money for you know groceries or gas or whatever it was so that was my my grandfather my grandmother was actually a concert pianist and um, wow. 
when her and my grandfather got together. And uh, as the story goes, they went on their first date and uh, uh, they went on their first date. They fell in love. And nine months later, my, my uncle was born. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So as was kind of back in the day, you know, because she was pregnant and because she was going to have a baby, you know, that kind of ended her career. Um, and I think she worked a little bit maybe in those first few years, but then that was basically it. They ended up having their four kids and, and the rest is history. But like, so I've got that musicality and my mom, um, although not a performer was, is all always at home singing and kind of dancing as she was like cooking in the kitchen or cleaning or doing anything. There was always song present. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I really credit my mom as being my first music teacher. Like she was singing to me, like when I was in her belly. You know, um, before any of the days of like, um, you know, like Mozart for babies or like, you know, I think you guys have that in this. I, that's pretty sure that's where it came from. Um, but there was a time, I think, in the late 80s or early 90s, you could buy like these like special CD players with like specially formed speakers to put on a mom's belly. And put them on the yeah, belly. Yeah, like to, right. But she would do that. <laughs> she would just sit with the with with uh, with headphones uh, on her belly or like just by the stereo and kind of have the, the speaker close by so that I could hear things. So I really credit her with being my first music teacher and um that music you know that she was listening to she she was really like a fan of like 60s folk um and motown (laughs) right so yeah yeah you know and um you know so i was listening to like a lot of carpenters a lot of mamas and papas we have a canadian artist his name is valdi and um really really great artist and then of course again motown legends do i even name them um but yeah and Aretha Franklin and just like all of it. Um, Stevie wonder was huge in my house growing up too. (sighs) And, uh, just, just so good. And so like, that was kind of my formative years. And, and I I wanted actually initially to be a violin player. And so I was like three years old. My mom got me involved with, um, something called the Suzuki method. So she found me a teacher. Um, and Mm -hmm. we were, we were talking actually before kind of, we started officially started recording the podcast. I, I was actually born in Windsor, which is right across the border from Detroit. And, uh, and it wasn't until I was about eight that we moved up to Richard's Landing. So, uh, my very youth, my very young youth was in Windsor. So there was a big enough population that we had, um, uh, a, a school for music for youngsters and it was the, the, uh, Suzuki method. So I had a, a Japanese man that taught me, I can't remember his name. I want to say Yoshino, but that probably isn't right anyway. Um, and I was like three years old. I had a violin that was like this big and mm. I played and I would practice and it's, it's kind of, a uh, like a very traditional way to learn music. You don't necessarily learn to read, right? It's like, mm. uh, play and repeat. Right. So, and, and that was interesting. And I, and I did that until I was like six or seven. Um, and then des- I decided I kind of didn't really like practicing. Right. <laughs> right. right. I was like, I get, I get, you know, it wasn't really worthwhile anymore. And it's funny because part of that method too, is like you record your practice sessions and then you listen back to them to see mm-hmm. where you made mistakes or what needs to be improved. And, um, my mom still has the tapes, of course. And I, oh, geez, it was probably 15 years ago, but like, I happened to put one of them in, I was like listening to this tape and I was like, wow, I was actually really good. Like, you know, and not just like really good for like a six or seven year old, but like, just good. good. Like I was a kid, obviously, but like you could hear, I wasn't just like me, uh, me, it's great. It's great. Right. Know, like it, it was like, Hey, we think we got something here. Like, yeah. So, you know, I, part of me kind of wishes I had continued with it, but also good that I didn't because I probably wouldn't have found guitar. Um, and then, you know, we moved up north and I ended up taking piano lessons when I was like nine or 10. And I did that for about 18 months. And um, again, kind of took the piano, um, enjoyed it, got pretty, I, I didn't get really good. I still play keyboard today. I would mm-hmm, never play mm-hmm. in front of people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, I, you know, I, I write and compose music. So like I actually play my own piano parts and I orchestrate stuff. And then of course the computer helps with quantization and everything. Um, but, uh, the biggest thing for me was that I always loved improvising and I always loved like making up my own tunes. And I had this weird thing where I wouldn't necessarily, I would read the music, but then I would embellish it. Mm -hmm. And my teacher had a major problem with this. And she was like, you can't do that. That's not what's written on the page. And I was like, yeah, but it sounds good. (sighs) And so, yeah. And she basically said something to the effect of like, well, you know what? You're wasting my, you're wasting my time and your parents' money. And, and so I was like, okay then. And I stood up, closed my book and I left and I never went back. Nice. Nine like years it. old. How right? old were like, you? How old were you? Nine, 10. And, 
I still remember my mom. You did what? And then I told her and she went <laughs> and, and had lots of words with the teacher and then but but that was the end of that. And then I found yeah. guitar when I was when I was twelve. Um and it, it's funny because you look back on your life and you kind of go, There's there's some certain sort of pivotal moments. One mm -hmm. of them for me was watching Back to the Future, the original in nineteen eighty five, where Marty McFly is playing Johnny Be Good. Mm -hmm. Right? And of course, as a kid, you don't understand that it's not actually Marty McFly and Marty McFly isn't real. It's actually, you know, an actor playing a guy playing guitar and he wasn't even playing, you know, but like that sound, that song, Chuck Berry, mm. Johnny Be Good was the first time I remember being like, man, guitar is cool. Yeah, I could, yeah. I could do that. Um, and then there were a few other sort of instances between whatever that five or six year old boy and 12 when I found guitar. But when I was 12, um, Metallica came out with Metallica, the black album, they call it. And Enter Sandman came out. And I was like, okay, that's it. I gotta, I gotta play guitar. I gotta do I, I have to. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't not do this anymore. And that was the, that was the moment that I decided I was like, I'm going to be a guitar player. Um, and I think the thing that then, so I'll wrap this story up. I know I'm talking a lot. Um, the thing that really kind of cinched it for me was around that same year, Soundgarden had come out with an album uh, called uh, Super Unknown. And their guitar player, his name was uh, Kim Thale. And uh, they interviewed him and they asked him something about, you know, guitar. Or how do you come up with your solos or whatever? He's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just start and I just make sure that I start and end on the right note. And people seem to like what I do. And I was like, huh. Wow. Well, if he could do that and become a rock star, yep. so can I. Right? Um, That's amazing. Yeah. So that was that was really sort of the, the cinch for it. And then again, you know, as I said, like being... Um, you know, being a youngster in Windsor, you know, my, my folks or my grandparents, we would go across the border to Detroit, um, to like jazz bars and blues bars and stuff. And, you know, I got to hear, you know, members of, um, uh, you know, the, the, the Motown band, like the house band, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. cause they, a lot of those guys are still there. Right. And there's a great documentary. If you've never seen it, it's called standing in the shadows of Motown. I have not like seen, I haven't watched it, but I've yeah, seen it. I mean, that. it's old now because it came out in like 2003, right? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's it's all about the the band that really, and when you say the band, it's actually like a collection of about like 15 or 20 guys and, and, and mm -hmm. a woman as well, uh, or a couple women. Um, they were called the Funk Brothers. And that was really the, the sound of Motown. All of those records were recorded by those same musicians in that tiny little house, right? That you can still Man, go that's to. Amazing. And, it's you know, so, yeah. So I got to hear that music like live, you know, or, or the guys playing the music. And, um, and that was all part of my, my formative years uh, growing up. So many, like you said, so many turning points where you go, well, well, that made a difference. Oh man, well, mm -hmm. that made a difference. That made a difference. And then you eventually make a decision that changes your life. Yeah. And Nick, we're glad that you became a guitar player because you've done so many amazing things. Now, I sent you the notes and originally yep. this wasn't supposed to like be in there. You're supposed to have to like guess. <laughs> so oh, okay, sure, yeah. the, the largest concert ever right i think and so that oh, number sure. here is 3.5 million and it was yeah. jean michael ja i hope i'm saying that right. uh in moscow in 1997 yeah so i put although, that fact in there although technically go, oh, he's go, tied go. he's tied for that record with rod stewart uh, who played Copacabana Beach in Rio de Janeiro. I think it was New Year's Eve 94 or 95, something like that. Or I guess New Year's Eve would be 94 and 95. Anyway, one of those years in there, he also had 3.5. He actually has the Guinness World Record for nice. the largest concert uh, ever. But Jean-Paul, uh, Jean um, I don't want to say his last name either. Jean-Michel, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jean-Michel Jarre, probably. But anyway. We'll go for um, it. Either way, he also, yeah, that 3.5 million out in Moscow, hey? Crazy. Can you imagine? That's okay. I'm glad you said that because I want you to take us to a moment where, because you've toured all around the world, yeah. in many different countries, take us to a moment where you look out and you go, wow, like, either like, oh, crap, the, this is a lot of people, <laughs> 
or yeah. or and or wow i'm the luckiest guy in the world i get to do this for a living take us to one of those experiences well i could do both the the, the first one is actually All the right. second one so i'll do i'll do the, the that one first um and this is going to sound trite but like literally anytime i get on stage and there is anybody there to listen to me i feel like i'm the luckiest guy in the world because a if you know who i am amazing but b even if you didn't if you just like let's say you paid your five bucks to get in the door at like your local pub or something and i happen to be doing a a a blues night or a a jazz thing Mm -hmm. or hosting a jam or whatever you still paid your hard-earned money to come and listen to me play music wow okay totally totally thankful because i like i still feel like i'm just that little guy growing up northern ontario in my bedroom like why would anybody pay to listen to me right so that's that's the first answer which i know like i said it sounds like super cheesy but it's true like i feel i feel like especially nowadays there's like this sense of this this can sound like old man yells at clouds right (laughs) but i feel like there's a sense among young musicians now where it's like because the internet is so accessible and we have everything in our pocket and it's possible Mm -hmm. it's possible to film yourself playing on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, whatever, and have it blow up and you could just go crazy overnight. Those kinds of things are getting few and farther between now. But there is still this sense, I think, of like entitlement of like, I can just get good at my craft, make a single video and blow up. Right. right? Where I think- They don't respect the grind. Yeah, like they just forget that there's grind and they forget that it's melody. It's about connecting with people. Right. And 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 making those connections, making those friendships, making the people feel something um, mm. and and feeling lucky that you get to do it. One of my professors at school once said to me, he's like, you know what, Nick, a bad day playing music is better than a good day doing anything else. And I'm like, fair enough. You know, Shout out to the professor. Yeah. Because like if you think about it, like, OK, so what what is the worst thing that could possibly happen for a bad day as a musician? Like you're playing on stage and maybe a string breaks. Or you, you get booked to play a gig and like three people show up, right? So you're playing to like a dead room, right? Or you get up and you just, I don't know, you got an earache and you're feeling under the weather and everything you play is off and you're out of key and whatever. Well, you probably will still get paid. You'll definitely get to go home at the end of the day. And you get to learn from that mistake and get better and do it again tomorrow. Right. What's the worst that can happen if you're a tower rigger? Uh-oh. Right, you climb up that tower and there's a lightning storm and you die. <laughs> like it's just music, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it ain't that bad. Um, and then yeah, so the other thing, let's see. Um, I was lucky in. Um, I mean, I played a lot of really big shows, but like one of the very first ones I ever played was this thing called Bayfest in Sarnia, mm-hmm. um, again Ontario, and I was I was playing with a, a Canadian country artist at the time, and we were opening for. I can't remember the exact order, but we were opening for for Gretchen Wilson, who's like a big country star, okay, uh, or was okay. she's still pretty big? Um, and I can't remember if it was that day or the next day was like the big act was uh, Bare Naked Ladies, who was like oh, in Canada. Okay, they're yeah. like, whoa, it's the Bare Naked Ladies, like they're huge, right? But uh, I remember stepping out on that stage, and there were probably like forty thousand people, and that was like the first time I'd ever played a crowd that big. Like I yeah. played, you know, you play bar gigs, maybe a hundred, 200 people. You play like a, uh, a theater show. Um, like I did Broadway cross Canada for a while, which was fun. Um, and you know, you're paying 1500 seat, 1800 seat theaters. Like it's nothing crazy, right? It's like the Fox yeah. in Detroit, like yeah. beautiful venue sounds great, but like, you know, it's not that big. So yeah, 40,000 people, open air venue, big, like you hit a chord and it just like echoes. Yeah. And you're just like, wow, this is, uh. This is, and you do, you get a sense of like, okay, don't get up, don't, don't get up, <laughs> sorry. So yeah, <laughs> that, that moment was definitely one of those, one of those moments. But the interesting thing is for me anyway, was that it only ever happened the once. Mm. Um, I had that first experience of that size of a crowd and I went, whew, and it really hit me. Like it just washed over me. And once you play that first song and finished and the crowd goes nuts or even like, half okay, the crowd reacts, this. you're like, Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I got this. It's all right. I know what I'm doing. And that uh, makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Uh, I think I, I've mentioned it so many times, but I sing at my church on Sundays. Yeah. And it's nothing like kind of getting up there. And I don't want to say like 
I am kind of nervous every every Sunday, no matter how many people are there, sure. because it's it's you're still performing, right? This yeah, is still totally. a, a craft that you have to, to hone in, and there's yeah. still practice and work and time that goes into it. And you're like, okay, here we go, like here we go. But yeah, again, like you, like once that the first note or whatever is played, yeah. and the lights come on, and you know, I just go for it it's like okay yeah all right i know what i'm doing i've been here before i've done this uh and real quick story i haven't told this one before but uh at my church we used to do like plays you know for easter and that kind of stuff and so when i lived in china we became a part of a a church there and they had like this not this was like a huge like a massive church I couldn't, I mean, hundreds of people, I'm thinking, yeah. Sure. And I think Easter came around and I put something together. Yeah. Uh, I forgot what the name of it was, but I was like, it was like a mock interview, like a 60 minutes thing. I think I was okay. like interviewing like Mary and then I would interview Peter. Yeah. It was kind of like one of those, right? Yeah. Uh, not a parody because it wasn't like funny, but no, it was course, kind of but- a mock of it. And so I step out there and it's way more people than I've ever done anything for. I mean, I'm, you know, hundreds of people and I'm like, okay, all right. Uh, Yeah, it's a lot of people out there. Yeah. (laughs) And it it hits you. And so, but when I started and, you know, I I prepared and once I opened up, I was like, okay, all right, I'm I'm ready for this. I, I, I prepared for this. So. I can relate just a little bit. It wasn't 40,000 people, but the feeling of, oh crap, you better not mess this up. Yeah, totally. You know, there's there's, there's an interesting book. There's actually a whole series of them. It's called The Inner Game of Music. Mm -hmm. And it was actually written by a psychologist, I think in the late 80s, early 90s. And he's got a whole series. It's like the inner game of tennis, the inner game of skiing, the inner game of something or other. And he really developed this sort of system to help coach and uh, psychologically tweak high-performance athletes. Yeah. And so he realized that that the same kind of methodologies and teachings and uh, inner realizations, if you want to call it that, can be applied mm-hmm. to music and musicians. Because if you're playing at that level, it's very similar, especially in the world of classical music. Um, you know, when I play electric guitar, it's like I move this much of my arm and my finger. Like, it's not that bad. But like, if you're playing cello, man, you're like, it's, right. it's a sport. Um <laughs> So he developed these same sort of techniques to help coach these high performance musicians. And I read that when I was in my twenties and, uh, it really changed my perspective a lot on a lot of things because if it, you know, if you can realize that you're putting in the practice now, like practice doesn't make perfect practice makes right. permanent. So okay, you put okay. in the time now, make sure that you're practicing perfectly. And there if you, you put in enough practice, you put in enough hours, all you have to do is just get up on stage and let your body do what it needs to do. Like do what it knows already how to do. Shut your brain off and you kind of, there's many different ways you can call it flow state or liminal state or whatever else. But like you can kind of almost, it's weird. It's not like a dissociation, but it's almost a little bit of that. You can step out of yourself and go, all right, cool. My body knows what it's doing. Don't overthink this. Yeah. And then you can actually enjoy the moment a bit more. But uh, anyway, point being, I would highly recommend that book if you're if you're interested. Um, and you know, again, as you mentioned, you, you know, you sing every Sunday at your church. So, which, by the way, yeah. shout out to church musicians. Some of the best musicians I've ever played with are church musicians, man, because it's like stylistically kind of all over the place. Like I've met them, and they do like rock, gospel, blues, uh, hip hop, country, like. And all sometimes within the exact same service. They're playing like eight different yeah. tunes and every single one is a different style. <laughs> it's Man, good stuff. You talked about improv earlier. Like, yeah, I mean, if, if you can't, well, I can't say that because a lot of churches, they don't have like this improv element. But sure, yeah. let's just say like the black churches, you know, the, the ones that I go to and have grown up in. Yeah. You better be able to just roll and yeah that music is going to start and i guess whoever the leader is usually the person that's on the keyboard they yeah. might hear something or feel something and then they start playing yeah. and then they're in their talk back and they're telling their their drummer and they're telling the good they're telling the guys like okay yeah. this is where we're going you know go here and then go here and then as the the singers right you have to be able to then uh feel and hear the same thing to then be able to just 
start yeah. singing. What are the next words that are coming? And then now you got to tell that to all of the people who are you're singing with. And it's yeah, only totally. like six of us on stage. Yeah. So like if, if one person is not on the, on the right page, like it's going to be noticeable. So yeah, that's, that's the fun part and the, the camaraderie of, you know, yeah. just being in the band and playing and the practice and you get on there and you're like, okay, is everything that we did, is it going to work? <laughs> and is it, can we put it together at the right time in the big moments? And then once those improv parts come, have we done enough together to be able to now flow into what's next? And can we read each other? That's man, yeah. that's super fun stuff. And I that's teamwork. That all day. Right. <laughs> yep. Again, there's a lot of, I don't think it gets quite enough credit, but like, especially playing in a band and the more members you add, the more complex it gets. Mm. Um, but there is, there's a lot of, a lot of um, similarity between playing in a band live improvisation and sports because it's a yes. lot of the same cues you have to look and read and understand the situation and reaction and interaction um and yeah it's a, it's a lot of fun and as you said it's camaraderie right man and music music is so good too because it's like you know uh, let's face it i'm i'm very lucky i grew up you know i come from a, a pretty privileged place but canada i think is a little bit different than the states but we're not that far removed you know what i mean mm -hmm. and but i always grew up with the the knowledge and the what my parents instilled in me was like everybody is equal and like everybody has something interesting to contribute and yes. the the thing about sports is that like so obviously it's kind of usually delineated male and female and then you get your mm -hmm. good athletes and you're kind of medium grade and then the low grade and then what and if you're not yep. at that kind of level it's like no you're not playing but like music especially in like a church situation or like in a jam situation or a, you know an improv or whatever it's like you just show up you can you can take part and even if you're not at my level that's okay i can i can help you through it or yes. i can make you look good you know yes. and and i feel like there's always something interesting to be contributed by anybody at any level and and it doesn't matter you know age race color um anything and i think music is the great equalizer of, mm. of society and i i feel like it's a major disservice over the past 20 years i mean it's been happening a lot longer than that but really over the last 20 years where music education and arts education creativity like you know drama like all the, the arts the creative arts yes the funding and i think it's especially bad in the states but like that funding has been eroded and taken away more and yep. more and more with focus on like I don't know, whatever you guys are focusing on, right? Not you guys, but, I mean, just <laughs> me, like, but like whatever the, the establishment decides Sports. is important of the day. Um, and it, and it's really too bad. I agree. And so you, you're a musician and you've toured and you've written music, but there are tons of ways you as a guitarist have made different, found different ways to make money. Totally. You have and to. And so our next number here is, uh, November 29th, 2011, yeah, which is when your YouTube channel was created. Now, I know you do uh, more things than just that, but talk about like some different ways that you learned how to, to make money. You, you started teaching music. You've done yeah. a bunch of different stuff outside of just touring with a band. So totally, talk about totally, some of those. Totally. Um, so it's interesting that you mentioned about the, uh, you said November 29th. 2011 that's what that's what's on your yeah. youtube page that's what's on the youtube so that's, what I so that's actually the birth of that youtube i've been on youtube since 2006 wow so like when it first rolled out i was like wow this is going to be huge um sorry a bit of a side story but like i so i originally made that channel um when i went to japan and mm -hmm. shortly thereafter met my wife and we started working together and doing youtube together and we got pretty big we blew up like at that time you could like you know video your cat farting and you know you'd get a million and a half hits right um but like we were making content about like here's our life in japan and this is really interesting mm -hmm, and check mm -hmm. this out and here's the train and like just whatever but we actually had like i don't know sixty thousand followers or something and it was and it it kind of blew up right and that first wave of monetization that happened in like 2007 2008 mm -hmm. i was actually part of that so we actually were starting to make some money with youtube which was really cool nice. um and then subsequently we had to shut down the channel because there was, we had some bizarre situation where there was this guy kind of got obsessed with us and just like, it was like, all right, let's gonna, we'll, we'll, we'll stop that Whoa. now. Um, but 
to your point about being a musician and making money with more than just touring, and I think it's especially important right now because of the past couple of years that we've had with the illness and the great pandemic and the whatever, um, I was always under the impression of like, gigging is cool, gigging is great, you can make a lot of money, and you can, especially when you get into like a real top tier tour, most musicians are probably playing at a more local level or even a more like B or C level. I, mm-hmm. I hate to do that tiered system, but I mean, it, it does happen. Is what it's it like is. National Touring Act, Regional Touring Act, Local tu- local Gigging Act, uh, local bar band or, or corporate band, like that kind of thing. So, but I always was like, okay, well, I'm not going to be young forever. And, you know, I'm not like, I'm not, I don't look like, Justin Bieber or Christina Aguilera <laughs> or whatever you know what I mean like I'm not you know I'm okay with I it you. I am who I am but I always I was always thinking like okay well I'm not going to be young forever and as we know as you age performance tends to suffer right so like I'm not going to be able to keep playing at the at the level that I was so I was always interested in diversifying of like okay well mm. can I can I teach can I do something else can I how can I augment my income in a, in a way and then also I was thinking okay like well if something happens like I fall and break a leg or if I fall and break an arm or if I do something stupid and get my hand caught in a rotor rototiller or something you know how how else will I have money coming in and mm-hmm. so again luckily I, you know I, I, I had the chance to go to school networked with a lot of really cool people a lot of amazing players and that opened my eyes up to a lot of possibilities outside of just gigging and touring. Um, one of which obviously is YouTube. Why not? You can get on there and, and I am not going to lie. It is a lot of work. It is a oh, lot yeah, of work. Oh yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> you know, um, the channel that I have now started in 2011. I didn't, I kind of made some videos and I did, I kind of, uh, I, I how, what would be like the, I, I, uh, I one cheeked it <laughs> right to put it in a, in a G rated fashion, right? A half butted. There you it. go. Right. There you go. So it was, I, I didn't put my whole bum, I didn't put my whole bum in just one cheek. Um, and I was busy doing other things and it kind of languished. It didn't really do a whole lot. 2018 kind of came around, which thankfully was before the pandemic, but then I started really doubling down. But like over that entire time, sometimes, and especially in the last year and a half, it's like 50, 60, 70 hour weeks where you're filming and you're writing and you're editing and you're, you know, looking for new trends and what value right. can I bring to my audience? And I don't make a dime off of YouTube, right? So it's hard work <laughs> for not a lot of, for not a lot of, uh, you know, accolade or, or, or money. Yep. But here's the key. You use the YouTube, or at least I do, for a lead generation system where people can find me and see me and take a lesson or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, that's interesting. I like this Nick guy. I like his teaching style. And then they'll funnel off to my website. And then I can yeah, teach where them can a I find lesson. more? Right. Or I can sell them a course or I can sell them a book or they can buy a T-shirt or a hat to support me, you know, like that kind of thing. So the YouTube video itself, like I'm not getting any AdSense revenue, but I do actually gain customers and followers and and, and students through that because mm. I, I look at YouTube as like this is my uh, my advertising. Right. Yep. You're from Detroit. Right. Twenty nine or two for 50. Right. <laughs> Mr. Allen. <laughs> Do you remember? Do you remember the Mr. <laughs> Allen ads? Or is that too oh, far yeah. before your oh, time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Garner White Furniture. I mean, there all the ads, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's the way I look at YouTube. Is like it's a great source of advertising because it is the number two search engine in the world. Google being number one and YouTube being number two. And the interesting thing, yep. if people Google something, chances are they're actually going to get a YouTube video as their first yep. answer anyway. So there's always been that. And then I've always looked at. Um, or not always, but you know, as I said, teaching, I feel like most musicians already know this, like teaching is a great way to make a side income or even a full-time income as a musician. Um, Mm -hmm. and I've done that pretty much through my entire career as a musician. I've always had students, I've had, you know, uh, folks doing exam prep. I've had high school students, I've had young, I've had old, whatever. Um, around 2009, 2010, Lisa and I were getting ready to move back to Canada from Japan. And I didn't really want to be touring I didn't want to be on the road I didn't want to kind of do that anymore because you just you get I got to a point anyway where it was like okay I'm a little I don't know I was burned out right and 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 you get to a point too where it's like I don't want to be I don't want to be away from home that long I don't want to be away from her that long um yep 
loading and unloading gear like just it, it's it's all of it it's it, it's hard on the body the the hassle that comes along with it yeah it's a it's a sacrifice you know to get out and and do that so i'm like okay well how can i how can i still make music and not necessarily teach full-time because i didn't want to go in and like have to work nights and weekends because that's really if you want to make a full-time living as a music teacher you're usually at a local music store and you're teaching monday to friday 5 30 to 9 p.m and then like right. all day saturday After school right? yeah um but i you know again through my network and and kind of talking to some of my friends it was like okay well why don't you start pitching your music for music libraries or to you know placement agents or what music supervisors mm-hmm. for film and tv and i was like oh that's a great idea and i mean you know the gold the golden i always i always say this the golden um uh, the golden goose or like the highest pinnacle that you can think of right like what's one of the most famous tv shows of all time is friends right yep. think about the two or three guys that wrote the theme song for that song they are multi-millionaires <laughs> That's it. They're good to go. 35 seconds of music, right? It's actually a whole song because they were a band, but like that 35 seconds, like that's it. Their careers are made. So that's kind of the goal. But if you think about that in terms of a musician, okay, well, I could write a piece of music that could be used in a TV show like that or any TV show, right? Mm. Or a commercial or a jingle or uh, a radio spot or whatever. I can do work once and get paid multiple times for it. This is this yep. is what we call passive income. I hate that word, passive income, because there's it's no such a, thing. It's you a have thing to right work now. For it. it is a thing right now, but it really is. Like you do work once, you get it placed, and as long as that show remains in syndication, every time it gets aired, I get, you know, twenty five cents, sixty cents, a dollar twenty five, like whatever it happens to be. Right. Right. Um, and I get and I get payouts on that. Like I'm still making money on stuff I did I wrote in two thousand nine. Nice. Right? Um, which is great. Now, at this point, it's not very much like those particular pieces really only make me, you know, I don't know, 50 bucks a year or something like that because they're not shown on TV that much anymore. But the point remains the same is like you do that work once and then you can multiply it a lot. So that's one of the ways that I found. And then again, through my teaching, I always was one of those guys where I have because I have I'm I primarily self-taught as a guitar player. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I went to school. I kind of have this sort of interesting hybrid approach to teaching and yes. learning. And I think it really should be individualized to students. But if you're going to put a system together, here's here's how I do it. But I'd be teaching and I would put together like a reading list for my students and I'd give it to the parents, right? And they'd look at me and they're like, you're out of your, this is $600 worth of books. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but like we need, you know, page four from this book, page 22 to 26 from this book. Um, this book, we're going to use the reference charts, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, well, can't you just give us a book that has everything? All the stuff in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, but it doesn't exist. And so it was always in the back of my mind. I'm like, okay, well, you know, one of these days I'm going to make the book that I want to have mm-hmm. to, to teach students from and uh 2020 came along and of course that stopped any sort of gigging um productions were shut down like yeah. i had a bunch of contracts that were in the works and everything just was like completely like obliterated like overnight and of course everybody was affected by this not just me um but it was like okay well you know what now's the time if i'm not going to write a book if i'm ever going to write a book now is the time to do it so i put my head down wrote a book i wrote three books and uh, i still have maybe two more in me um, but put them out on, on, uh, Amazon. So I, I, I self-published and, uh, and one of them, you know, did amazingly well for me. It was like April, April, May, June of 2021. So last year was a number mm-hmm. one bestseller in the, in the music instruction category on, on, on wow. Amazon, which is fantastic. And it still does phenomenally well. Um, my other book, which is basic music theory for guitarists, um, also does okay. Like it does good does well but it's mm-hmm. not as well as the other one which is a uh, very mm-hmm. very specific it's called fretboard memory magic and it's just a real simple system for memorizing the that's fretboard. a great title by the way thank you um <laughs> I, i'm pretty proud of it it's, it's 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 like hooky and catchy like it's almost like clickbait but it actually does what it says it's going to do like if you buy the book like it, it, it it's like magic um so that's like that's the big one and then and then the other one is uh you know still does well but like not quite as well it's like a I don't know, it's about a 60-40 split in terms of royalties, like, you know, month to month. Sorry, I realized that was, I talked for a long time. (laughs) No, that's great. That's great. That's awesome. Hey, we love the stories, right? We love to get into the details. I love it. But you mentioned Japan a few times and how you met your wife there. So that's like our next number. You spent five years in Japan. Yeah. Um, I heard you talk about expat communities on another podcast. I was like, man, yes, yeah. because I lived in China for a year. Yeah. 
obviously not five years, but sure. when you find those communities, it's, it's very different. Even, even though you you try to, to to hang out with with locals, and some of them are inside of the expat community where they've kind of been integrated in through some way. Yeah. Uh, but talk about what made you want to uh, come back. What was the what was the experience, or when did you go? You know what? Time to get back home. Time to start making my way back to the states, yeah. but not to the states, but well, to, to, to North Canada America. for good. Yeah, the states light. I think is the, the way somebody said Canada was once. There was like you know it's it's like Diet Coke, just one calorie, not quite Coca Cola <laughs> enough. Um, thank you, Austin Powers, right? But um, it was not ever any one thing specifically. Mm -hmm. It was kind of just a bunch of things happening all at the same time. Uh, my wife and I had been together for three. We weren't actually married at that point. We got married the summer that we decided to to, to move back. Um, but uh, her 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 mother um, was in poor health, mm -hmm. and so we weren't sure kind of how long she was. She was very right, worried right. about her mom. Um, so there was that happening. We were both, we, our contracts with the companies that we had been working for in Japan were coming to an end. Um, so we were, we were not sure if we were either going to be re, uh, like re-signed again for another mm -hmm, year or mm -hmm. two years or whatever. And even if they did, were we going to get any more money or was it going to be some bonus or like whatever? So there was that happening. Um, the big sort of, you know, 2008 financial crisis was kind of like finally coming to oh, an end yeah. and things were sort of turning back up around the world. So we thought, okay, well, no, you know, now wouldn't be a bad time to go back. Um, mm -hmm. We were both getting sick. Isn't the right word, but like you get, I mean, you lived in China, right? So, you know, there's a, there's kind of a grind when you live overseas and you aren't part of that culture. And um, so in the States, there's the, the, the term OG, right? Yeah. Um, so, in Japan, that it's funny because it's kind of they use a lot of like English words, but they, as Japanese, I'm sure you've seen like the the writing that doesn't look like Chinese characters. It's more like weird angular stuff. So they call it katakana. Anyway, so OG in Japan means obvious gaijin, which is an obvious outsider. So it would be like uh. me, I'm a white man. You, you're a black man. Uh, my wife, a white woman. Uh, any anybody that doesn't look japanese so oh, some chinese folks like we have some friends that are chinese and korean they are non-obvious gaijin right so they fit in they look like japanese people but they're not right mm -hmm. so but life as an og <laughs> in japan <laughs> can be very difficult it's it's you know there's a lot of staring there's a lot yeah. of um uh you know mothers with their children's moving to the other side of the train when you get on um and so that kind of thing tends to grate on you a little bit. And these are isolated incidents. Not like every day somebody was like pointing at me going, oh, my God, scary white man. Like, you know, was, <laughs> you know, it wasn't anything like that. But, you know, little things piled up over time. It kind of gets mm -hmm, to you. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then there's a lot of rules there and things that just like as a foreigner, you're not, at that time, things have changed. But as as a foreigner at that time, you weren't allowed to own property. So like we could never buy a house. Um, right. you can, even if you become a naturalized citizen, you're still not allowed to vote. Um, so like a lot of things that as Canadians, we take for granted, we weren't going to ever be able to realize in that country. And again, just kind of cultural differences, language barrier. Yeah. Um, my wife is quite fluent. I'm not, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I got, you know, I spoke enough Japanese that I could get into trouble. Um, and, uh, it, so it was just kind of a combination of all these factors that it was just like, you know what, yeah. it's. It's time to it's time to go home, and uh, and that's what led us to to come back in 2010. But I don't want it to sound like we had a horrible experience there. Like we loved Japan, we love Japan. We still have friends there. Uh, we were actually planning to go back for our 10, 10 year wedding anniversary in 2020. Yeah, yeah. And then of course, you know, uh, the, things happen. Uh, the the illness <laughs> happened, so that prevented it from happening. But we'll get back again because it is it's a beautiful country. And you know, China. We actually never made it to mainland China, but we did visit Hong Kong and we visited Taiwan. Which, of course, obviously are very different places. Oh, but man. Oh, there's man. There's so much to visit in Asia in such a small, like you yes. can hop in a plane and it's like, you know, a 20 minute plane ride for like $100. Yeah. 
and you're yep. in a completely new country with a completely different culture and different food and like exciting art and stuff. And yeah, it was a really cool it's place amazing. to live. Yeah. It's amazing because like the countries that we live in are so huge. So yeah. an hour from here, I'm still like in Houston, Texas. basically. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, because it's, it's so big and I could, you know, travel for two or three hours on the plane and still be in Texas yeah. as opposed to there, you know, Hong Kong is very close. Japan is very close. You know, yeah. Malaysia, Thailand, all these places yeah. are very close together. Very easy to get to. Mm. So as we come to a close here, Nick, I do my three what's. Okay. And so I'll ask you these questions. You can take um, as far out or as close in as you want to. Okay. First one is in your field or outside of it, what's an opinion that you have that will be considered unpopular? Oh, I can tell you right off the top of my head. Um, so it's two parts. Number one, right. theory is not necessary to be a good musician. Number two, this is part of that. Mm -hmm. And this is really specific to guitarists. And I take a lot of flack for this online because everybody online <laughs> is an expert at everything. And I'm like, so this, this is the thing. I'm not hard and fast on anything. I'm just like, look, this is my opinion. This is the way I see it. And yeah. I would never stop anybody from learning theory. Like that's not to say it's not important. I just don't think it's necessary for most people. Um, but anyway, the second part of that is that, and the, again, this is very specific to music and music education, but the, the, the circle of fifths is not something you should spend any time learning as a guitar player. You are Ooh. never going to use it. So those are here first. What the, yeah, there you go. And people give me a hard time for it. Um, like I said, it's just, it's an opinion. It is what it is. There's, there are several other music educators, guitar educators, specific educators online, um, that agree with me. Um, and you know, we, we're part of maybe a slightly different breed than the norm, but you know, there's a, it's weird. I feel like, again, it's like this weird indoctr indoctrination that's happened with this like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 18th or 17th century German high classical music that's like gotten into the culture of like, this is what music is. This is what music theory is. This is and how you can't you get study. away from me. Yeah. And it's like, why am I studying 17th century harpsichord harmony for wanting to play, you know, 2020, wanting to play rock guitar in 2021? Like, it does right. not, it doesn't work. Of course, there are things that carry over, but like mm -hmm. we need a new vocabulary and there's some really, really cool stuff. If you get some time, there's a really great um, uh, interview that Adam Neely does. And I can't remember the man's name right now. Um, Adam Neely has a, a really huge YouTube channel. He's like a musicologist um, mm -hmm. and he interviews uh, a professor, like a very like master's PhD, like like world smart, renowned. Smart, smart dude world-renowned uh, musicologist specifically on this topic about like we need new vocabulary to talk about modern music and way the way that jazz and blues and you know things that have evolved in 2021 that are so different from the 350 years ago and it's crazy yeah. if you take the the u.s um uh what it's like the ap music exam mm -hmm. there are questions on figured bass which if you're unfamiliar again 17th century german classical compo composition thing it has been out of style like not even in classical cir circles for over 300 years why are we teaching this to high school students yeah we i mean there's a lot of areas and i talked about this with an, a previous guest where it's just so lazy we're outdated in yeah. a, a lot of things you know yeah. education you know music uh, yeah. political system a lot well, of it's different not just things. the u.s though right this music education specifically it's like canada's the same uh uk europe we're all in this like weird and honest and i, I don't want to it's a that's a whole other type of podcast i think but it is oh, yeah. it's like it's, <laughs> among many other things it's socioeconomic control it is classism and racism let's be completely honest right if we control what you learn and how you learn it certain people can't get into the inner circle yeah but music is supposed to stay close everybody yeah anyway sorry yeah. okay man <laughs> like i said that's a whole other thing and uh, yeah that you know. we could have went way off the deep end okay yeah. here we go here we go second what second one. okay <laughs> if you weren't in music what field would you be in 
Oh man. Um, yeah, that's probably tough. You've been doing this basically your entire life. Yeah, absolutely. I've had I've had other jobs in between. I've worked in a few other industries. Um, because again, being a musician, sometimes there aren't gigs there. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've done a lot of, uh, not very nice jobs, you know, like I've cleaned carpets. I've, I've to be colloquial. I don't know what you got, like what you guys would call it in the States, but we call it a honey wagon. So you basically drive a vacuum truck around to like porta potties and like suck them out. Oh yeah. Like, but I mean, sometimes man, you got to do something to pay the mortgage, right? So you go to work. You got to figure it out. Yeah. And you know, as a younger man, I would do whatever, like I, you know, worked on the railroad, I shoveled gravel. Right. So, um, anyway, if, if I wasn't a musician, oh, I guess I'd be dead. No, um, <laughs> no, yeah, it's not I, funny. <laughs> no, but <laughs> I honestly, I always, it goes back to being a little boy again. I always wanted to be an astronaut and Ooh, I, okay. I suppose if I had had a slightly different brain and my particular uh, personality had had allowed me to focus more on math and engineering and science, I probably would have been an astronaut or at the very minimum like a pilot or something, right? Just having just right. watched Maverick, right? The new Top Gun <laughs> movie. I don't know if you've seen it, but like I grew up with the original Top Gun and like, man, right. what a great movie. Like I would have, that's, that's probably where I would have gone. I would have like gone into the military to try and be a pilot and then eventually move on to like, you know, NASA or in, in Canada, the Canadian space agency. But yeah. Okay. Okay. That's my first, um, astronaut, uh, okay. reference on the podcast. So that's awesome. Cool. <laughs> and last, last what, before we get out of here, what advice would you give to someone in high school? So if I take this back to my classroom and I'm like, okay. Hey guys, I got this amazing musician. His name is <laughs> Nick Morrison. He has some advice for you. Totally. What would you say to those kids? So can I ask a clarifying question? Go for it. So advice for high school kids, like what age group? Well, I teach freshmen all the way to seniors. So, okay, so you can tailor it however you want to. The reason I ask is I'm because I, I feel like there's such a growth curve that changes between oh freshman my. to senior. That's an right. entirely different yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so let's, go, let's go with so seniors, people who seniors, are kind of okay. getting out and getting, yeah, into the getting out into the world. The, the thing that I would say, and this is going to sound super, I, I feel like lots of people have said this, but like, you've got time, right? Or some version of it. I heard a great podcast a little while ago with, with, with Tom Hanks and, uh, and Robert De Niro and who else was on it? Somebody else was on it. It doesn't matter. Anyway. Um, was it the actor's round table? Like one maybe? of those? I think it was one of those. Those are awesome, by the way. And it was the same kind of thing, right? It was like, what advice would you have? And, and Tom Hanks, normally, and this is going to maybe sound bad, but normally I feel like for the most part, actors are paid to be beautiful and say things that other people's write. Say mm -hmm. things that other people write. I find most, most actors to not really be super very interesting people. They lead interesting lives, but they're not necessarily interesting people. Mm -hmm. But Tom Hanks said, a, a version of this and it was like this too shall pass yep i think right i think that was i, I think i seen the same one yeah and bobby de niro kind of came in and and added good and bad because i think we have this um innate ability as humans and i think it's what's helped us survive and helped us grow and helped us evolve over time of like this too shall pass thinking about all the bad stuff Right. Like I'm in a bad situation right now. I'm broke or, you know, I'm going through a divorce or I was in a car accident or yep. whatever. Right. Or I got to drive a, a honey wagon for six months to make, <laughs> to make rent. This too shall pass. Mm -hmm. But also not forgetting that on the, on the flip side, good yeah. things will also pass. Right. You're at the top right now. You're making more money than you've ever made in your life. Everybody loves you. Tomorrow something could happen. And it's all going to be gone. Yeah. And I think from that is what I'm taking away is that you've got time. It means that as a young person, and it's funny because like, 
you know, again, this is like old man yells at clouds, right? Because if I had given this my this advice to myself when I was in high school, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have listened, right? <laughs> but the thing that you don't realize, I think, when you are 18, 19, is that mm-hmm. you have a you have a long time to go. And things seem really dire or important or or hard or whatever it is Urgent. for this. Or, yeah, like for this one small period of your life. But like in the grand scheme of things, it's nothing. And you got a long time to figure it out. You know, I'm 42. Man. I'm still figuring it out. Man, I mean, I didn't you know? start, start my podcast like a year ago. I'm 33, right? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't become a teacher until I think 28. Okay. Right? So... And I, this is still really young. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. And I mean, you, you think about it, right? 42, um, you know, m- my life expectancy, I think in Canada, we're like men are 60 or 76, 77, something like that. Mm-hmm. So like, I still have like half my life to go. You know? I mean, th- th- theoretically, I mean, we, we know people who live into their, their nineties, right? Yeah, you absolutely. could have another 50 years left. Yep. Another 60 even. My great-grandfather lived to be 103. See? Look at that. So you go for at least 90. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. You know, I still got all my hair. (laughs) Like, I'm doing good. Okay, Nick. I think that's that's an excellent spot to end it. But before we do, I want you to tell people where they can find you, talk about your YouTube, your app, your website. Plug it on. Yeah, absolutely. So, um... I'm Nick Morrison. You can find me at www.guitardojo.ca. If you are an intermediate guitar player looking to improve your skills without stress, without jargon of music theory, um, and just want to learn applicable stuff to make your guitar playing better, come come check me out, guitardojo.ca. I got a free download on there. You can get mm-hmm. access into my app for free and take my free 15-minute lesson uh, to get you soloing and learn the guitar neck faster than you ever thought possible. So go check that out. Um, and uh, you can find me on YouTube if you're just interested in just free lessons. I put out like licks and song analysis and all sorts of different cool stuff on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash Samurai Fingers. And uh, that actually translates across all of my social media. So I'm at Samurai Fingers on Instagram, on TikTok, um, and on YouTube and uh, at Twitter as well. So Nick, Samurai Fingers, <laughs> whatever you call them, you know what? I'm just, I'm thankful. I'm grateful for this conversation. It was, it was awesome. And make sure you guys go, go follow Nick, go find Nick, go watch his videos, download the, the app, go buy the books. If you're an aspiring guitarist, make sure you check out all the things that Nick has to offer. He has so much great experience and He's just an all-out fun guy. This is a Thank great you, interview. I really appreciate you having me, and it's it's always nice to to talk to other people um, that are both in music and and outside of music, mm-hmm. but music appreciators, um, which is always good. And and of course, always nice to have a platform to share my my experiences yep. and expertise and that sort of thing. So thank you very much, and thanks for listeners that have listened in. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. Well, signing off for the amazing Nick Morrison. I am your host. Tony Rambles for the Living Numbers podcast. Make sure you guys go like, subscribe, go follow the YouTube channel, follow me on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. Make sure you guys go ahead and and like and share, rate, review, all that great stuff. And I will see you all in the next ramble.